0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are going to jump right into, everybody say week two. week two? All right, we're in week two of a message series we've simply entitled um, Courageous Christmas. Now, Pastor Brandon last week, Talk to us about the courage of Mary, right? And imagine if you put yourself in the shoes of Mary, who most theologians believe to have been 13 or 14 when this occurred, right? So imagine yourself at the age of 13 or 14 having this knowledge dropped into your lap. This is a scary situation. It's a frightening one. And so we look at the story of church originating out of this that deals with the fear that could have been present, that most likely was present in the lives of those players who were in the act. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Right, so we are in this Advent season. Does anybody know what Advent means? Right, we're in the second week of Advent. This is, um, I'll, I'll make a confession to you. Y'all don't judge me. But I was raised in a, in a variety of different churches, and I thought Advent was a kind of chocolate. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. And I thought it only came in cardboard calendars with Christmas trees on them. And I was like, man, in November, we're going to get one of them chocolate calendars with that Advent chocolate. And it was really fun. I thought I was the only one. And a, a friend of mine named Rob, who lives in the UK and is a, sometimes preaches at his very, very prim and proper Anglican church, he posted his message on, on, on Facebook this morning, and guess what he said? Advent, I thought it was a kind of chocolate. I'm like, this is not just me. I'm not the only guy who didn't know what Advent was. But you know what Advent is in reality? It's the anticipation of something that's going to begin. Amen? It's the beginning of something. And there is this, this is not even part of this. I just want to throw this out there for you guys, okay? This is a, I won't even charge you extra for this. This is it. There is such a tendency in our church today to be in a hurry. There is such a tendency in the United States today to be in a hurry. And the Advent season is is an opportunity to slow down. Take a breath. Anticipate what's to come. The worst thing in the world when I was a kid was all the build up to Christmas. And 30 minutes later, the wrapping paper's on the floor and we're done. And I'm like, whew, now what? Well, because we had not really dealt with the the process of anticipating man there's something big coming on december 25th right there's something earth shaking world changing something that's going to radically shift the way we see everything in the world from the top to the bottom and we need not be in a hurry to get there when we could slow down and we could enjoy the anticipation we could say god what is it you're telling me in this season what am i expecting in this season what am i waiting for you to do in this season that only you can do and take a, take a breath, take a bead, enjoy your family, enjoy your time. But there's also, can I say this, for a lot of people sitting in this room right now, I know this to be a fact, that there are, there are circumstances in your life that the, the, the expectation of Christmas coming does not help. It simply exacerbates a problem. Does that make sense to somebody? Right? If you have financial difficulties today, the anticipation of Christmas is not easing your fear. Amen. You know there's stuff coming. There's no, there's expectation. If you've got issues with family, the, the anticipation of spending days with those people maybe is not exactly calming your nerves. And so we, we, we have a chance this season to take a step back, if that makes sense. Take a step back and say, what is it that God would say to me in this season what would, he, what would he speak to my heart? And we're going to use the story of Mary and Joseph and the way that they dealt with their situations and the way that they faced some fearful situations, and we're going to see what we can pull out of there for ourselves. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. So you're not going to have anything on your side screens. You're just going to have to just, just bear with me as I read through some of this stuff. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, all right? First chapter, 18 through 21. Now, now, mind you, Brandon got the good one. He got to talk about Mary. There's all kinds of stuff about Mary. You know there's really not that much about Joseph? I mean, read through the Gospels. You're going to see Joseph has a couple little places where he shows up, and then whoop, he's gone. So I I get the pleasure of trying to explain something like this. And here's where we get introduced to Joseph in the book of Matthew. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The first thing I want to mention, and this is just an observation, the angel appeared to Mary. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. I don't know what that says about e- either of their responses to fear, but Joseph had to be asleep, man. <laughs> right? Mary got the full visitation from the angel. Joseph got a vision in a dream. Maybe that's because that's what he could handle, right? But that's... First thing in your notes, if you guys have your notes with you, right? If you have uh, the Uversion app, you can look there. But if you're filling in the blanks, the first thing that I want to tell you this morning is that fear is a human emotion. It's human, right? Why do I say that? Why? Because there is this tendency sometimes to think that the people in the Bible were superhuman, Right? Is there's, a, there's a tendency to think that, that, that the people that, that are mentioned in the Bible, who, who managed to push our faith forward, who did all kinds of crazy stuff, that they were sometimes more than human. And the fact of the matter is, they were human. That means the fear that you feel, the fear that you've dealt with, guess what? They've dealt with it too. And one of the things that I really love about the Bible, probably my favorite thing about the Bible is this. It doesn't whitewash stuff for us, right? We don't get two-dimensional caricatures of people who are superhuman, who do crazy stuff, and then we have the the ability to say, well, gosh, I'm not Paul. I couldn't have done that. Don't expect much out of me. I'm not Peter. No, man, we read the Bible, and we see Peter was flawed. Man, to the core, Peter was flawed. Paul was messed up, right? Moses was, was all kinds of... Listen, we go through the stories, and we see people that look like us. And we get to say, man, if God would use Moses, why wouldn't God use me, right? If God would use Peter and all of his bravado and all of his stuff and all of his, man, it's just his passion that sometimes went the wrong direction. If God could use a Peter, man, God could use me. Why wouldn't he, right? So we have this tendency sometimes, I think, to romanticize these figures in the Bible. But the Bible does not give us romanticized versions of the characters there. It shows us who they are. And I think it's purposeful. I think it's purposeful so that we don't get to excuse ourselves from doing something great. Amen? We get to do something great because if God could use those guys, man, he can use anybody. And I tell you one thing. If I can stand here this morning and I can say the things I'm saying, y'all can do whatever you want. There's nothing too big for any of you in this room. Amen? Amen? So, all right. So fear is a human emotion. I want to take this a chance. We'll go through a couple of examples in Scripture, and I'll show you that there were some people in the Bible who dealt with some fear and sometimes dealt with it not well. So the first one I want to show you is this. In Genesis 3, verses 3 through 9, listen, this fear thing, it goes back to the very beginning. It goes back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve, look at this. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, this is Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because, he, because I was naked and I hid myself. First of all, I have a question for you. Where in the world did fear come from in the perfect place of the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were not created to have fear. Where's their fear coming from? It starts in that place where they believe the lie of the serpent in the garden who tells them things about God that are absolutely false. Right? What, is the, what does the serpent do to Adam and Eve in the garden? He deceives them how? By saying, man, God doesn't want you to have that. God told you you can't touch anything in here. Right? He lies to him. He subtly deceives. And all of a sudden, they start to believe this this, this flat-out deception that, number one, God isn't really on their side, that God is somehow this taskmaster who's just waiting to smack them down if they do something wrong, right? That God would somehow withhold his gifts from them because he's held one thing off to the side and said, don't touch that, it's not for you. What they don't know is that when they eat from that tree, right, of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden, man, this fear gets to come in and be released, and all of a sudden, they get to fear what? They fear God. Not in that reverential awe kind of, man, he's God way, but like, oh, my, I better run and I better hide way. This is the God they had walked with in the cool of the garden who had talked to them and, 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 and allowed them to name all of creation. And all of a sudden, man, they're freaked out by him. Man, it's like going to your kid's room when they're little and, and they messed up and they're cowering under their bed. It would break my heart if my, if, if my children we were worried that I was gonna lose my mind and punish them that way. Does that make sense to y'all? Man, God does not want that relationship, but man, we gotta go all the way back to the very beginning, and we see that Adam and Eve feared. They were afraid, and they ran and they hid. We got this guy Job, right? We don't have to go but a few chapters down the road in the Old Testament, we find this dude Job. How many of y'all know who Job is? By the way, it's not Job. Don't be afraid of a job. It's okay, J-O-B's are good. The J-O-B I'm talking about is this guy that the Bible says was perfectly upright. He was perfectly righteous. And again, now we start to see that there's maybe this superhuman guy, right? How many of us can say that we are perfectly upright? Well, you can put your hand up, Weston. You're good, man. (laughs) How many of us can say that we're perfectly upright and that we're good? Well, we have this guy, Job. He's impressed God so much that God's actually kind of bragging on him, going, have you seen my servant, Job? He's really, really good, man. This guy... Is the bee's knees? He's awesome. He's and then, but I want you to see something. Right in Job three twenty-five, it says, "When all of this stuff and if you don't know the story of Job, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Job is awesome. Job is attacked by the devil, and everything goes belly up. I mean, everything. He loses his wife—not wa- his wife. Unfortunately, he didn't lose her. No. If you read the story, you know that's not a." Slam against wives, but against his. Um, He loses his house and his property and his kids. He loses everything. He loses his health, right? And what Job says at one point in Job 3.25 is, what I've always feared has come upon me. Look at that. What I dreaded has come true. We have a picture of a guy now starting to evolve and emerge that's not just a guy who's good for goodness sake, but a guy who's good because He's scared. We have to go all the way back, and these are verses that, man, they kind of come in, and you can gloss over them if you just read through the verses, right? All the way in the very first chapter of Job, we get this picture of Job, and it says his sons, this is start, uh, Job 1, 4 through 5. It says, his sons used to hold feasts in their home on their birthdays, and when they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. And early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom, it says. Think about that. We got a guy who's perfectly upright, who's got some kids. They throw a party. They have all kinds of fun. They invite their friends over. And when they're gone, Job cannot rest until he's gone and made sacrifices on the off chance that one of them might have done something in their hearts. Man, that's fear, guys. That's fear right? And in the, in, in, the, in the Bible, we get this notion, right, that the, in the kingdom of God, that intentions are every bit as important as the actions that they inspire. When Jesus is on the earth, and he's in his public ministry, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's critiquing them, he's not critiquing their actions. He's not saying you shouldn't have, you know, done these things. You shouldn't have kept the law. He's saying you shouldn't, not that, not you shouldn't have tithed. He's not saying the actions were impure. What he's saying is you shouldn't have stood on the street corner so everybody could see you be that way. Your intentions for doing these things were not to honor God, but to honor yourselves. And so now the actions that are good are now looked over here as, like, man, yeah, maybe so, but you've tainted them with your bad intentions. Is, is, y'all connected with that? Does that make sense? So we have this guy Job, who's perfectly upright, does all the stuff he's supposed to do, but guess what? The motivations of his heart—they're fear. Man, I better, be, I better be careful just in case one of my kids might have sinned against God in their heart somehow at one point. I better go make a whole bunch of sacrifices for them. And I better make sure that they're covered. I don't know about you, but the relationship that I have with God, I do not want to be based on one of fear of retribution. I don't want a relationship with my father. And guess what? He doesn't want one with you like that either. He wants a relationship with you where you are free to come to him with anything and not have the fear the hammer dropping because you might have had a bad thought or you might have had a, a moment where you doubted or you didn't trust. All this fear stuff has, has a place and one thing I wanna say before I say anything else is this. The Bible speaks to, to our fear issue a lot, right? There's a lot of verses in the Bible that say, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. What I don't want you to hear and I certainly don't want you to see is God with his finger wagging, going, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And a lot of times we insert a tone, right? And you can get to a place where you become real legalistic, even about this place where, man, I felt fear, and now I feel bad about myself, because I guess I don't trust God very much. And then next thing you know, you've kind of got this cycle going. Man, I don't need, i really like to hear, to not hear it in that tone of voice. I want you to imagine that you are a parent, and if you are a parent, that won't be hard. If you're not a parent, imagine you're a parent, and your child comes to you, and they're quaking, and they're trembling, and they're shivering, and they're scared, and they climb up in your lap, and they say, oh, daddy, I'm scared. What's your response to that? Do you chastise them for being scared? Do you look at them and go, oh, God, grow up. Dad, there's a monster in my closet. What a, jeez, you're so childish. There's no monster in there. Or do you simply wrap them up in your arms, hold them close? Reassure them that they're loved. Reassure them that they're cared for. Reassure them that they're okay, right? This is what our God does for us if we'll let Him. We can climb up in His lap. We can hold on to. My, my grandson, y'all know that I have a couple grandsons, right? This is my grandson, you know, the other, he's really gotten into saying, I'm scared lately. I don't know why. I, don't, I think he gets, cause, probably because it gets Papa to go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, right? So he can't say I'm scared, he said I cared, I cared, I cared. So guess what I do every time he says I cared, I cared? I pick him up and I hold him and I squeeze him and I hug him and I tell him it's okay. And I tell him I love him and I remind him that he is cared for, that he is beloved, that he is treasured. My kids grow up knowing how much their mom and I love them. Right? And I know that not everyone in this room has had that experience, I get that. Some of you have had these experiences with parents who were way less than perfect and I get that, but can I encourage you this morning that you can find that which your soul longs for, that you can find it in Jesus, so you can find it in God today. You can find a place where you can be safe and where you can be loved in God, amen? And I know that's tough. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's there. So in the kingdom, we have this issue where the intentions, like I said, are every bit as important as the actions, and Job is doing what he's doing because he's scared, and I don't know about you, but I don't want obedience out of my kids because they're afraid I might lose my mind and just do something crazy, right? I want them to do what they do because they love me and I love them, and there's a reciprocal thing going. Mark 4.38, if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark 4.38. We have this story of Jesus and the disciples in a boat, and here comes a storm, right? I don't know about you guys. I don't really like boats, all right? And if I'm in the boat when the storm comes, I'm going to do what these guys did, and I'm going to lose my brain. I'm going to be like, what? But Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat, and all of a sudden the storm comes. Look at this. Verse 38 says, he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Come on, man. He's asleep on a cushion while we're dying, and he's asleep on a cushion. What kind of guy is this? So the disciples, what do they do? They wake him up. And they ask him, teacher, do you not even care that we're perishing? I want you to put this in modern 21st century vernacular. I think if you were like a 16-year-old, what would you say to your mom and dad? You don't even care we're dying over here. What is wrong with you? You don't like us, you don't love us, whatever. You're sleeping on a cushion. And here is God, here is Jesus going, Ugh. I'm surprised not a surprise, I don't think I'd be surprised if we actually had photographic evidence of Jesus today, if there would be a permanent dent. Right about here, from how many times, I promise he just went, right? There's all these statues of Jesus that were you know, sculpted years and years ago, and oh, there's lots of them where he's like this. This was before we even thought about a face palm, and I think Jesus invented it way back, because these guys drove him nuts. Just, what is wrong with you? You of little faith, right? I'll make another confession. Besides the fact that I don't know what Advent is, apparently it's not chocolate, but I don't like to fly. I got a chance to actually—I should—I say fly. <laughs> I was in a little plane, and a guy let me like hold the thing. What do you call that thing? The, the steering wheel was a stick, right? Okay. Anyway, for about five minutes, and all I had to do was hold the thing straight, and I'm like, mm, no. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. I did it for five minutes before I realized I would climbed 5,000 feet into restricted airspace. Because I don't know, this was on the East Coast, by the way, so we're close to Washington, D.C. and stuff, I'm like, had this been like 2002, would have got shot down? But on airplanes in general, I like to go places. If you know me at all, you know I like to travel. I'm always, if I got a chance to go someplace, my wife and I, she keeps a go bag in the back of her truck. She knows if... I call, and I go, hey, what are you doing this weekend? It's probably we're climbing on a plane and going someplace. Yeah. I'm just spontaneous. I'm weird like that, right? I'm impulsive. We want to go to New York? Let's go to New York. Boom, let's go. But I don't like to fly. I don't like the takeoff. I don't like the landing. I don't like any of that stuff. And so here's what I did. I developed this trick. Now, number one, when the plane is hurtling through space at 5,000 miles an hour or whatever it is, and it's, everything's calm and you've got your snack, and your, which by the way, they don't do anymore, so now I really don't like to fly. But you've got your soda pop, they give you half of it, right? Give you the little plastic cup, half a soda, and they give you the little bag of peanuts with three peanuts in it and one pretzel, and they give you all that stuff, right? And for a moment, golly, you can sort of forget that you are in a metal tube hurtling through the air at 35,000 feet at how, Mach 5. I don't know what it is. But when everything's smooth, man, life is cool, Right? Like, man, this is all right. I could, and then, then, then what happens? <laughs> and then I'm telling you right, and there's a point to this, not just because I think it's funny, but the point is this my brain goes nuts, goes crazy. What do I do? I imagine every scenario. I told my wife, I have this conversation in my head, and I go, Every person who ever, who ever got on a plane that crashed said the thing I'm about to say right now, which is, eh, it's just turbulence. Said everyone ever, whoever crashed. It's not an irrational fear. That's what I want to say, guys. It's not, an ira- it's not that planes don't crash, right? If they never, ever, ever, ever crash and you were afraid to get on a plane, I'd say you're nuts. In the history of, of air travel, a plane has never crashed. Then you're crazy to be crazy, right? But they do. And when they crash, they do so in like spectacular fashion and everybody dies, so there's a rational fear. Is it irrational to not get on a plane because sometimes, they, yeah, of course it is because you're way more likely to get killed on the way home today than you are on a plane and that's scary. Don't, don't, don't. I didn't say that. I take it back. <laughs> but I developed this trick, right, to deal with my anxiety Sort of, you know, popping a bunch of Xanax or whatever. I, I keep my eyes on the flight attendant. These people fly every day, all the time, every time. If they can walk up and down the aisles of that aircraft serving drinks and keep their cool, then everything's fine. And unless and until they freak out, I'm not going to allow myself to freak out. I'm going to be like, Betty Sue over there is fine. Life is good. She's still rocking that beverage cart down the middle of the airplane. Things must be okay, right? I will tell you, there was one time when we had a situation where even the, even the flight attendant went, Whoo-hoo! and I was like, oh gosh. Then I had to actually, like, pray, which was just, you know. <laughs> I got it, Tom. Last resort, I guess I'll look at you. But the point is this. We, we have these, these, these moments where fear can take a hold of us, and it's really, again, I don't, what I want to say is this. The fears are rational sometimes. I'm not going to negate or belittle what you feel and the fact that there are some things that are staring you in the face today that are for real scary. But can I tell you one thing else? Your God is for real scarier. And so our perspective can shift because we can say, man, I'm not going to be in denial. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and say that this illness can't result in death. I get get it. It can. And I'll tell you from personal experience, I've stood there. And I've watched somebody I thought was going to die, terrified, out of my mind. And I had to shift my perspective and say, yeah, the fear is real. I get that. But, man, he's realer. And it's not as though I deny the reality. I just I just claim a higher reality. I get to say, man, the fear is big, but my God is bigger. The fear is real, but my God is realer, right? And it's not a denial, but it is an acceptance of a higher truth. And everything. Can I say everything? Say everything. Everything's gotta battle, gotta bend its knee to Jesus. That means even your fear. Amen. It means your circumstances. It means everything's gotta bend the knee. Everything submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ including that thing that you're frightened of today. But can I tell you this? This My next fill in the blank is this, that Jesus never rebukes you for your fear. Rather, he anticipates our fears and he calms them. He doesn't rebuke us for being afraid. Come on, guys, that's good news for someone today, right? Is that good news? God does not rebuke you for being afraid. He's He's not... slamming you for your frail humanity. He's not saying, how dare you be the human I created you to be. Can I tell you something? If I'm jogging in my neighborhood, and, wait a minute, that's funny. Jo- <laughs> if, if one of y'all are jogging in your neighborhood, it's 3 o'clock. In, okay, I'm going to stop now. I used to jog. And when I would jog in my neighborhood, I would go out in the morning because I don't want want to see me, all right? Just saying. No one needs to see that at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the morning is a good time for this guy to go running. So I'm, run, that's still, shuffle? All right, so I'm shuffling through my neighborhood, and I like to go, out. I shoot down this alley, and at the end of this alley is a snarling pit bull. I kid you not. At that point in my life, fear was a natural response. Because before long, it was him and like three of his buddies. And I'm going, why didn't I run with a pistol or something, or at least some pepper spray or something? It was a, that, that's a, man, that's a biological imperative I do not want to get, you know, bald by these stupid street dogs, man. I'm not tough enough for that. I can't take it. So I run the other way. Okay, I shuffle the other way. I kind (laughs) of, I don't see nothing. Y'all don't see me. You can't smell my fear. I'm not talking about that kind of fear, though. I'm talking about the kind of fear where, where there's something unknown. And rather than turn that thing over to God and say, God, I don't know, and it scares the crud out of me, and I, I've given it to you. We go, we instead, we, we internalize and we imagine. And the Bible tells us that we're to cast down vain imaginations. Well, there ain't nothing more vain than imagining what might happen, what could happen, right? And we always go, how about you guys? When my kids were youngish and they started driving, man, I thank God for finding my iPhone. Thank you, Jesus, for GPS tracking. I don't know how my parents did it, man. But my kids, when they're off, you know, and they, if they were supposed to be home at ten and it's ten forty-five, I could have written a book of all the things that probably happened to them. Man, they're someplace in a ditch somewhere, and they're calling daddy, 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 and I'm not there. And man, it's easy to let your imagination wander. And so in those moments, we really have to do this thing of submitting that to God, and it has to be a choice, right? It's a deliberate on-purpose decision to say, I'm going to trust God in this matter. I'm going to trust what he says. I'll tell you that when, uh, a lot of you guys know our story, that Elena, my second child, who's now 22. I got four kids. I don't have seven, but I still have four, and it's still hard to keep track, all right? So I got four. Um, She was real, real sick, and she was hospitalized for several months. And um, Can I tell you that as we sat in the ICU with her, and as she was in a medically induced coma, and as the doctors, lovely cheerful doctors as they were, would come in one after the other and say, I don't get your hopes up. You know, we want you to be prepared for the worst. It was easy, as we saw people carted out of that hospital way more in body bags than any other way that we saw. She was in the worst part of the ICU where all the worst cases went, and we saw body bag after body bag after body bag leave that place. And there's my baby girl. It's been two and a half years, and I can't get through this story without losing it. Why? Because it scared everything in me to the core. How do you do that? There are people in this room today who have buried children. I don't know how you do it. Man, I don't know how you get through it. I don't know. It's it's gut-wrenching. What we did every day was choose to trust God. And some days it was harder than others, man. I'm telling you right now. Some days it was all I could do to go fine. Some days my prayers were shouting matches. Some days they were totally peaceful and calm. There were days when it felt like everything was going to be fine, and there were days when the alarms would go off at three o'clock in the morning, and we'd get called out of a sleep because she's crashing, and because her machine stopped working, the thing that's pumping to keep her alive, and they don't know why, and we're freaked out. And if anybody had told me, oh, you're just not trusting God, I'd have punched them in the throat, man. They weren't wrong. I get that. But, man, what people need to hear in those moments is not, you should trust God more. They need to hear, man, it's okay, God's got you in this. If the incarnation of Christ in a manger as a baby tells us nothing else, it tells us that God will climb down with us into our pit. He will climb into our darkest hole. He will climb into our deepest pain, and he will say, it's okay. Trust me in this. No matter the outcome, trust me in this. Man, I tell you what, as a parent, that is the hardest thing in the world to do, is to just say, fine, I trust you in this, God. I trust you. I don't know what the outcome is, but regardless, I've chosen ahead of time that I will trust you with the result, Whew. and the very real possibility that we were going home one child less. Now mind you, we didn't, amen? Can I get a, so I don't want you to, I know that's heavy, I know it's deep, but I'm telling you what, there are... I know for a fact there's people in this room today who are dealing with every bit of scary situation as we did. You've got health issues that are scary, financial things that are impending, right? joblessness. There's, there's, there's people who you know, have relationship issues, and, and man, all I can tell you is this. As one who stood on the precipice and had the choice to trust God or not, man, it's better to trust Him than not. It's better to trust Him than not. It gives me more peace to say, fine, guess what? I don't have control of this situation, and I don't know the outcome, but... I'm gonna move forward. The Bible says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? The Bible says we don't camp out there. Yay, though I camp out in the valley of the shadow of death and build my house, right, with my surround sound and my big screen. Yay, though I hang out here and, no. Man, we move through. How? Sometimes one little tiny step at a time. Sometimes we shuffle through. Sometimes Jesus drags us through it. But we get through it and we don't camp out there, amen? All right, so. Third little fill-in-the-blank thing here. i got to hurry up. Our responses to fear reveal how much we trust God. Our responses to fear reveal how much we trust God. And before I go any further, this, I don't mean this in any legalistic way. okay? And I certainly don't mean you to look at a neighbor and say, man, you didn't respond right to fear. And that thing, you must not trust God. No, but it does tell us something about ourselves, doesn't it? Doesn't it tell us, kind of give us an idea? I, if you have an anger issue and everything is going right in your life and you haven't punched anybody in the throat lately, I don't think you can tell me that you've resolved your anger issue. You won't know until you've had a reason to control it, right? Until something goes crazy and there I cut you off in traffic and you don't shoot up the, the year number one salute. You go, woo! No, no one's cut you off in traffic in a month. Big whoop right? I have gotten my eating issues under control until I'm at a buffet, and then, man, all bets are off, bro. <laughs> I see you. all you can eat is like a challenge. How many chicken fried steak could you eat? You won't. Let's see. There was a place in, uh, in Fort Worth that my brother likes used to take me to. It was a German place. On Tuesday nights, all you could eat schnitzel. Can I tell you something? Man, they did not like to see us coming. <laughs> Ooh, if you haven't had schnitzel before, it's like German chicken fried steak, right? So we got, anyway, how many of those can you eat? I don't know. It's a challenge. The sign says all you can eat, not all we can make. Well, let's find out what that means. I'm getting my money's worth. I'm also a cheapskate, so I'm getting my money's worth. But our responses to our fears, they show us, right? If we feel like we've dealt with fear and then a scary situation comes along and we do the same thing we've always done and we freak out, there's a couple examples in your bulletin there um, with fill in the blanks, you could probably fill out ahead of time. But number one is that Adam and Eve hid. They hid from the God who made them, from the God who fellowshipped with them, communed with them, spent time with them. All this stuff. And the minute they messed up, they ran and they hid and they covered themselves, right? Why? Because we're afraid. Job, I put in there that he became hyper-vigilant. Can I tell you something, that there, there are people in the body of Christ today who are so concerned that they can slip in and out of the favor of God that they do everything they do just to make sure and not tick God off. They become legalistic about what they do. You know, the, the, the first century Jews, that when Jesus had come on the scene, you know, they were ruled really by fear. The Pharisees had given them a brand of Judaism that said, man, you better watch yourself Every jot, every tittle, every part of the law, you better observe all of it. And if you don't, man, bad things are coming. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm gonna break all this fear stuff off of you guys. This is not the, the, it's not the foundation of a good relationship to have one be afraid of the other. And so therefore you toe the line because you're scared of what God might do, right? But Job becomes hypervigilant. He lives his life in fear. Joseph contemplated dismissing. I love that, That's a very polite word for dismissing Mary when he found out that she had become with child by the Holy Spirit, right? So you have to understand that in, in, in Joseph's time, I mean, number one, today, unmarried young girl gets pregnant, it's not great, right? But we don't freak out. In Joseph's day, man, bad stuff could have happened to Mary, this was a this was not a good deal it was she was a young girl she would have been found to be you know pregnant out of wedlock and she could have had some dire consequences for her right and job i mean job good lord joseph is understandably stressed out about what's going to happen in this family he's he's planned for and all of a sudden things have gone awry and i can imagine that joseph is sitting there with his imagination running going, oh, my gosh, well, they're going to find out, and this is going to happen, and next thing you know, man, maybe, maybe they've hauled her into, in, in front of some sort of like mock trial court kind of thing. Maybe they're going to stone her. They stoned adulteresses. That's what they would have called her. Jesus, There's a famous story of Jesus saving one of them, from a, a, a woman caught in adultery from stoning. There's really bad consequences beyond just going, oh, people look down at you and shame you and make you wear the scarlet letter. No, they could have killed her. So Joseph has some real fear, and his thought process is, well, I'll quietly, I'll just quietly break things off. And I'll, I'll go about my way, she can go about her way, but he's not wanting to publicly disgrace her, right? He's a good guy. There is love in his decision, even in that moment, to say, well, I, I'm going I'm to walk away from this, but I'm not going to make a spectacle of her. The disciples freaked out. When they were in the boat. That's my last little fill in the blank. But you could go through the Bible and find story after story after story. Abraham lying about Sarah being his sister, right? We've got Peter denying Jesus because the angry mob's coming after him. And what does he do? Nope, 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 don't know him, don't know him, don't know him. Time after time after time after time, we get, ex- we get example after example of people making decisions in fear. Uh, my grandmother, and mom, if you're watching, I love grandma. But my grandmother lived her life in fear. Broke my heart. It really did. Because um, I'll tell you a couple short things. One thing is that my grandmother was, um, what's a polite way of saying tightwad? Um, (laughs) eh, Actually, a tightwad. Whatever. (laughs) Can I tell you, though, she lived through the depression. She lived through periods of time where there was so much want, and she was the one in charge of her family because her parents had gone. That she knew, I mean, man, we think we know what poor is. Man, we don't know what poor is. That's poor. That's, I don't know where my next meal's coming from, poor. So she lived through that, and her resolution, whether consciously or subconsciously, coming out of the depression was never again, never again, it's never gonna happen. If you went to my grandmother's house, and you went into her pantry, there's enough food for about a millennia. She was never going to be hungry again, and neither were any of her kids. But she also, my grandfather did well, made good money as a kid, and they drove used cars, and they, they, she wore secondhand clothing, and she, you would have thought she was a pauper, but she was so scared to death of losing something that she didn't do that. You know what, my, my, I grew up in Northern California. So for those of y'all that don't know, I've been in Texas for 15 years, and they still call me that guy from California. I don't know when that ends. At some point, I guess they'll stop. But, but Northern California is famous for a couple of things. One we won't talk about. The other is earthquakes. Man, I grew up with earthquakes, right? I moved to Texas, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, no earthquakes. But, man, we got, like, tornadoes and hailstorms, and whoop. I'm going back to the earthquakes. (laughs) Nobody I know has ever died in an earthquake. I've been through lots of them. I'm talking, like, eight points and above on the Richter scale. They'll shake your house to the foundation. My wife and I have lost more personal belongings to earthquakes than I can think of. But relatively few people die in these earthquakes, unless they're really bad and they're located someplace like a large population center. My grandmother lived in southern Oregon, so usually about two to 300 miles away from us, and we saw them a few times a year. My mother is her only daughter, and I asked my mom a few times over the years, you know, grandma's retired, grandpa's retired, why don't they just come down here and buy a house and live near you? You know why? Scared to death of earthquakes. When she would come to stay with us, she'd rarely stay in our house. She would have found the hotel in town that was the best prepared for an earthquake, and she'd stay there. What? That's living your life in fear. She never drove her whole life. Why? Driving scared her. Man, it's a bad idea to make decisions based on fear. Isn't it? It's, she missed out on so much stuff, and it makes me sad to think that we could have had lots more time together. Mom could have had way more time with her, with, with her mom, had there not been this fear that kept her from coming to California because there's a one in five billion chance you might get killed in an earthquake. That's crazy. When Y2K came around, you best believe she was ready. How I many you guys old enough from Y2K, right? right? Remember the world was just supposed to go and just explode, right? I remember I got lots of literature from my grandmother in the mail about making sure I had a big enough water tank and that I had enough non-perishable food stored up and Can I tell you this though, that's funny, but there are people today who will play on every fear you've got. Sometimes, and usually I would say for nefarious purposes. To separate you from your money, tell you there's something coming that you gotta have to prepare for, and by the way, I've got the thing over here that you can buy. All you gotta do is turn the news on and see that the world profits off of scaring us, right? It does, and I'm, for one, I tell you what, I just don't, I'm not doing it. I'm not playing the game. I'm not gonna get scared. I'm not afraid. Why? Because my God is bigger than all that stuff. Amen? Amen. The last thing I'm gonna end with is here. We conquer fear by leaning on each other and leaning into love. And that's what I've titled this message this morning is Leaning Into Love. So we conquer, that's that first fill in the blank, right? Conquer. We, we conquer fear by leaning on each other and we lean into love. Why? Because love is the most powerful thing on the planet. If you don't think so, try it. Think about it. Can you imagine? Jesus is going up against the Roman Empire. It's the Roman Empire and Jesus Think about it. I mean, it's hard to even wrap our brains around what the Roman Empire looked like at this time, but they pretty much owned the world. And how did the Roman Empire operate? Fear, intimidation, violence, right? Go against us, I dare you. We'll just wipe y'all out. You either got wiped out or you submitted. Why? Because they were the biggest, baddest dudes on the planet. They had the biggest, baddest army on the planet, and you were just going to get in line. Jesus' disciples would have grown up in a time when Rome occupied Jerusalem, right? Rome occupied Israel, and there was a rule that was by fear. Fingers on your head all the time, right? You're under their thumb. And so Here's Jesus who comes along and doesn't say, "Rise up, everybody! Grab your weapons! Let's go kill these dudes." He says, "No, nah, we're actually we're just gonna we're just gonna love you to death." And I can also imagine the guys like Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and these other guys going, <laughs> "Love!" Oh, he saw. Eventually, he saw, right? The Roman Empire comes crumbling down. Why? Not because Jesus raised an army of warriors, but because he raised up a bunch of people who were willing to lay their lives down for each other. He raised up an army of people who were willing to love not just the people that looked like them, but the people who did not look like them. To love not just the people they liked, but the people they maybe even hated. And they laid down their lives, not for their friends and their family, but also for their enemies. Oh, what a... What a if we would just get a hold of this, you guys. This is the stuff that rocks the very foundations of the world. Let's look at the book of Matthew 20, chapter 26, verse 36 through 39. I wanna show you this. When Jesus was, a, was about to be arrested, and he's about to be taken to Golgotha, he knows what's coming. It's a fearful situation. I don't know what Jesus' mindset was in the moment. I only know what the Bible tells us. that In the book of Luke, it tells us that he was anguished to the point where he sweat drops of blood. Jesus' own words in the Gospel of Matthew go like this. It says Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Other translations say, yet not my will, but yours be done, right? And so we have Jesus. I want, I want to pull two things out of that short verse. Number one, Jesus didn't go to the garden by himself. Amen? We lean into each other. We lean on each other. There's a, there's a reason that we get here together every sunday morning and we do what we do it's not because it's not just because we like the sound of our own voice (laughs) It's, it's because we recognize and realize that we need a community of people around us why because life is tough man because sometimes things happen and the best thing that fear can do to conquer you is to get you off by yourself because you are easily picked off in isolation, right? It's the old African Serengeti example of you know the one, the one that gets separate from the herd. That's the one the lion goes after, right? Well, guess what? You're in your herd today. You made a good choice today to come and be a part of a family. Why? Because we help each other out if we're, if we're doing this thing the right way. Why? Because we, we recognize when I look around this room that the things that I experience, I don't only experience. I'm not the only one who's been afraid. I'm not the only one who's, who's worried about the future. I'm not the only one who's having to trust God even when circumstances are rough. I'm not the only one. Why? Because there's a whole room full of people who I know for a fact. And you're having these same kinds of experiences. And there's strength in that, amen? There's strength and there's, there's encouragement. But the other thing is this, that Jesus didn't just lean on the people around him. He leaned into love by leaning into the source of love. God is love, First John tells us, right? He is love. And so when Jesus goes to the garden, because he's distressed and he's agitated, and he's, he's so stressed and whatever that he's sweating drops of blood, he doesn't just go and throw his hands up. He gets some friends with him. He goes to the garden. He says, I'm going to pray this thing out. I'm going to go to the source of love, and I'm going to say, man, if there's any other way, like, like, like at all, we, we could do it that way, right? But if not, not my will but yours be done. And so he leans into this thing. When Joseph is faced with Mary coming up pregnant as a young unwed mother, he has a choice, right? When the, when the angel comes to him in and, 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 and his dream and says, hey, this is what's happening, Joseph still has a choice to say, nah, not buying it. Or, yeah, I might believe all that, but I'm still not doing it. Joseph could have been like, he gone. And he still makes a decision to do what? To lean into the love he has for Mary, to lean into the love he has for God, to trust that what God is telling him is true. And look what happens when, when, uh, when, when the angel comes to him. He says, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Now, I mind you, that, that's easier said than done, right? So if I walk up to you in the middle of a scary situation, I say, hey, you know, just, just don't be scared, Sean. It's gonna be all right. You go, oh, well, gosh, why didn't I didn't think of that? Thanks. <laughs> it might be a little tougher than that, but guess what? That's the message we get over and over and over and over again is what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. There's another choice here. You can sit over here, and you can dwell on the fear, and you can make decisions based on fear, or you can turn your heart and mind to God. You can decide, even in the face of this, I'm going to trust him in this. Amen. I'm gonna end with this. First John 4:18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So many of those examples I gave in the beginning of people who are operating in fear, their fear was l- really based in punishment, right? Peter's gonna be in trouble because he denied Jesus, or because he, if he claims Jesus, they're gonna do to him what they did to Jesus. And mind you, later on. Peter's martyred and, for all accounts, is brave and courageous in his martyrdom. But Adam and Eve, going to get punished. Job's going to get punished. There's all this stuff. Can I tell you today, the, the verse you can stand on if you need one, and I think you do. I would have this plastered places when we were in the hospital, is that perfect love casts out Fear. They are oil and water, fear and love. They don't coexist. They can't co-mingle. They can't be in the same spot. They do not go together. Why? Because Jesus does not operate in fear. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. The Bible tells us we don't have a spirit of fear, right? Where we're we are, What? Power, strength, sound mind. That's what we've been given. That's our inheritance as believers. Matthew 1.24 says, When Joseph awake from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took her, took Mary as his wife. So Joseph's decision was to go ahead and obey, even though he probably didn't totally understand what was going on. It was to go ahead and obey even though he wasn't quite sure the result or the outcome. And Romans 5.8 says this, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why do I throw that one in there? Because unless and until you firmly, totally, completely understand that God loves you, The rest of this stuff is really, really impossible to deal with. It starts from this place of going, man, I have a relationship with my creator that's not based upon my performance. It's not based upon how good I am. It's not based upon how well I can keep the rules or not keep the rules. It's based upon the fact that he loved me enough to die for me when I didn't give a rip about him. It's based on the fact that I have a God who so much wants to have a relationship with me that he would rather die on a cross than be without me. Man, how cool is that? That's earth shattering. That is profound. It goes right to the heart of all of our issues. It says that we have the freedom to come to him and we have the freedom to trust in him. Amen? Amen. Uh, I want to go ahead and create a quiet moment. Uh, I'm going to come up here real quick. And I want to do two things as we close this morning. Number one, I want to remind you that perfect love gives us the ability to trust God, right? Right? But here's what I want to do for about two minutes. If there are people in this room today who are facing difficult situations, we have prayer people, in fact, we will going to have our prayer partners come forward too. Here's what I'd like to do, and we didn't plan this out, so I'm sorry if it seems um, a little haphazard, but I just sense right now that there's people in this room who are going through some stuff, who are going through some, some fearful situations and some things where the outcome is not assured at least as far as you can see. That there might be some things, some financial situations, there might be some relationships that are in trouble, there might be some really, really dangerous and scary health issues that I would just like to encourage you this morning to seek out some prayer. We're gonna provide a place, but before we do that, here's what I ask you to do. If you guys would do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your heads. The first step to any of this is recognizing, number one, that we need a savior and the second thing is to recognize that not only do we need a savior but that but but that jesus is that savior and so before we do anything else i'd just like to give an opportunity this morning to respond if there's somebody in the room who just literally man, you just need to say i'm ready to follow jesus this morning if you just lift your hand up make eye contact with me something show me that you want to say this prayer take this jump i see that hand awesome anybody else this morning Ah, that hand great perfect anybody else No pressure, no compulsion. I'm just, this is an opportunity to say, I'm going to trust God in this moment. Great. Let's say this prayer together as a a family, if you would. Repeat after me. And what we say all the time is this is not a magic prayer. Man, you were Jesus', and he was yours. the second you raised your hand there and you made that decision. But if you would say this, if you would just pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for saving me. I make a decision today to follow you, to believe that you died, to believe that you resurrected, to believe that you're coming again. Father, I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for giving me new life. And I thank you for loving me in Jesus name. Amen. Woo, good job. I just want to close this by saying this. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I still feel like there's some people in the room that need to hear this that that if there's something going on in your life that's scary, the 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 advancing of the Christmas season sometimes will make that seem bigger than it is, right? There's some stuff going on. I would just encourage you. Don't leave here today without coming up, talking to one of our folks, praying with them, letting them encourage you this morning. I know for a fact that that and we all deal with this stuff. It's scary sometimes. But no matter what it is that's frightening you, I can make you one promise. God's bigger than that thing. Amen. That his ways are for and his plans for you are so much better. So if you guys would stand to your feet this morning. We're going to go ahead and pray. We'll dismiss, but our prayer people are going to stay here for a little while and be here for you if you need to talk to them if you want to pray. Amen? All right. Well, Father God, we thank you for another amazing, beautiful day in your kingdom. We thank you for this uh, chance and this opportunity to get together and to, to talk about your word. Father, I thank you that, that your perfect love has cast out all fear. And, Father, I praise you that we can walk out of here today encouraged by the fact that you love us and that you're there for us. And thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.